right. Good uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Office Hours. Uh, I am your host, Daniel Pink, broadcasting from our state-of-the-art facility here in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being one of the many hundreds listening live right now and the many thousands who will eventually be listening to this recording on iTunes. Uh, let me begin by asking you some questions. All of you folks listening in right now, let me ask you some questions. Do you prefer one-on-one -on -one conversations to group activities? Do you do your best work on your own? Are you not a big risk taker? Do you feel drained after being at a social gathering? If you answered yes to these questions, you might be, and I hate to break this to you, you might be an introvert. Our next guest, Susan Kane, has written a terrific book on the subject. She says, our world, especially here in the United States of America, is built for extroverts. That extroverts, the sociable, gregarious, risk-taking guys and gals, get the bounty. That being extroverted is how we're supposed to act. And that that's a mistake. That, that introverts have powers that we've overlooked and undervalued and that we should, to paraphrase a famous song by Spinal Tap, listen to the quiet people. Susan Kane, welcome to Office Hours. Hey, Dan. It's a pleasure to be with you. Where are you right now? I am in New York City, which New was York my home for about 17 years until we moved out recently. Moved out to? Uh, moved out to the Hudson River Valley when we had kids. Oh, it's the Hudson River. You can have kids in Hudson River Valley. They're all like all roaming all around the woods, I think. Um, <laughs> it's so, true. Uh, I'm digging up the mud. So um, let me explain to you and to our guests who are still streaming in here, which is terrific, uh, how Office Hours works. On, on each program, we open the phone lines for an hour, and our guest and I will take questions, questions about work, business, life, love, uh, careers, parenting, education, anything you want. I love it. That sounds anything, great. Do you any, have anything you want. Now, now, I'm sorry. Um, and so what, what we do here is that if the folks who are listening in right now who want to ask a question, uh, here's what you do on your phone, all right? This is, this is, we, we sometimes run into problems here on Office Hours with this, so let me just explain it again. If you want to ask a question to Susan, what you need to do is press star 2 on your phone, okay? If you want to ask a question to Susan, press star 2 on your phone. Now, don't press star 2 unless you want to ask a question, all right? So only if you want to ask a question. That will allow our crack team of producers um, to see you on the control panel, I will say your name. So Ethel in St. Louis, you're on the air, and you can ask away. Uh, people have also, in, in previous shows, really begun using Twitter to ask questions. Uh, and so uh, we haven't quite worked out a hashtag. So just use my, my uh, handle, at Daniel Pink, if you want to ask a question. I'll be following that carefully. I'll be following that like a hawk um, to hear questions via Twitter. And we'll take some of those for Susan. But first, let's talk to, uh, I get to talk to Susan about her book. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. It's already a huge hit. Um, Susan, what is an introvert? I mean, where did that whole concept come from? You know, it's such a good question because um, the, the concept came, it, it dates back to the 1920s when the psychologist Carl Jung popularized the terms introvert and extrovert. And um, since then, it's taken on many different definitions, and psychologists argue about what exactly it means, although they all agree that it's, it's really one of the most fundamental um, pieces of our identity, how introverted you are or how extroverted you are. Um, but, but I think the best definition is this. It's a question of what level of stimulation you prefer in your life. So introverts prefer lower levels of stimulation. Um, and that's social stimulation, but it's also stimulation like noise and lights and, and just action in general. Mm -hmm. And extroverts crave more stimulation to feel at their best. Okay, so it's a um, – now a lot so, of us, so, I think. So, so one way to yeah, think about it is, is uh, you know, this is why an introvert would rather have, let's say, a glass of wine with a close friend instead of going to a loud party full of strangers. Um, you know, and, and I think that's an important thing. It's an, it's an important example because introversion is often misconstrued as being about being antisocial. 
And it's really not that. It's really about being differently social, you know, and, and preferring to socialize in smaller doses and with people you know well and that sort of thing. Right, right. Now, I think a lot of us, Susan, um, at least, I, you know, I, we hear this, these terms introversion and extroversion in the popular parlance, but I think a lot of us were exposed to it in uh, a more, at least a slightly more in-depth version on the Myers-Briggs, which it seems like everybody and their sister has taken. Um, and so you can, what's I think amazing to me is that you can, I could walk down the streets of Washington, D.C. and randomly select somebody on the street corner and say, hello, I'm an INTJ. What are you? And, 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 and he would say, I'm an ENFP. Um, and so, yes, I know. Uh, and I've even had readers actually trying to guess what my Myers-Briggs type is, just based well, on Well, let's not book. guess. Let's end the guessing this moment and reveal here on Office Hours what you are, Susan. <laughs> okay. So, you know, probably there are listeners out there um, who already know because they've intuited it. Yeah, you try to guess. I, okay. Um, you probably can get the first uh, letter I, right. I, 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 INF, I, yeah, I think you're an I rather than an E. That's my guess. Uh, <laughs> INF, INFJ. Wow, you're so close because I'm an INFP and um, okay. and I'm really close on the P and the J. So that was good. Wow. Interesting. Okay, well, I've read your book, so I sort of know you. Um, <laughs> um, and it did have that. Well, okay, so but I think that people, I think that people have um, get that notion from Myers-Briggs. Is that a, a valuable way to uh, understand the difference between introversion and extroversion? You know, I think it is, and, and this is a funny thing, because academic psychologists are actually not very fond of Myers-Briggs, and they prefer other um, measurement systems. But I really like Myers-Briggs. I, I actually um, felt as if when I stumbled across Myers-Briggs, it kind of changed my life, because I had been a corporate lawyer at the time, and it was only when I sort of started thinking about what my true personality type was that I realized that corporate law wasn't really the right fit for me, and that it was time to go back to um, my childhood dream of being a writer. Um, so I, I think Myers-Briggs does get it right. And as far as introversion and extroversion, what Myers-Briggs would say is that, you know, a, a surefire way to know whether you're an introvert or extrovert is to think, how drained do I feel after yeah. I go out and socialize? You know, I, I, I'm at this party, I'm actually having a good time, I'm with my friends, but after an hour or two, I want to go home. That's an introvert. Whereas an extrovert would be feeling more like, oh, you know, I want to go out to another party, I'm, I'm energized. Right. Right. And the reverse of that, I guess, would be, and this is, and this is interesting, and so I came to really begin at least chewing over these, these concepts when I was forced, you know, unwillingly to take a Myers-Briggs in an office once. And, um, and, but that explanation helped me a lot, too. And it helped me at some level, you know, I test as an I, a fairly heavy introvert, actually. Um, but it helped me understand the extroverts a little bit more because the, the other side of that is that the extroverts get drained by solitude, by being by themselves, and they and and that they need their restoration comes from some kind of social activity, or to use the the the, the, the dichotomy that you're working with, they 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 need greater stimulation from the outside rather than the solitude of a book or sitting in your office thinking great thoughts. Right, right. You know, and I think that's why there can be sometimes um, such mis misunderstandings between introverts and extroverts because so extroverts really do have this need and it's a real need and, and a legitimate and a palpable one um, so then if they're married to an introvert or working with an introvert who is is kind of trying to get away some of the time because they need to restore you know an extrovert totally, yeah. Can yeah an extrovert can can understandably feel a hurt or, or abandoned um, or just that you don't like them very much because until you really get what temperament is all about you can't quite imagine that another person could feel so profoundly differently from you about how much social interaction you need. Um, great. So we already have uh, this for our listeners out there. I got a bunch more questions for you, Susan. So we'll, get, we'll, let, we'll let the callers come in in a second. Uh, we, uh, remember, if you want to ask a question live, it's star two. That'll put you in a queue, and we will identify you. We have a funny question on on uh, Twitter um, saying. Um, I'm listening to Office Hours with Daniel Pink and Susan Kane on the power of introverts. Will there be fewer? Will will there be fewer questions since the audience is introverts? <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to. No one wants to speak up. So, but but actually, it's interesting to see. I think it's interesting. I, I just thought of this: is that what you say in the book is that a lot of times, 
uh, introverts are, are more willing to express themselves online rather than... Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. You know, maybe we'll see that there are fewer people calling in than usual, but just as many people yeah. tweeting. I don't know. We have a couple, um, we have a couple but yeah, you know, the, a... the social media website, Mashable.com, actually ran a poll a couple of years ago asking its users, are you introverts or extroverts? And the great majority were introverts. Um, and then Pete Cashmore, the, the founder of Mashable, declared yeah. himself to be one also. And, you know, that's no surprise. Interesting. I think that there are a lot of closeted introverts out there. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, yes. Yeah, a, a, a heck of a lot, of, uh, you know, a, a heck of a lot of them. And also, let me just, looking at the Twitter feed right now, Andrea Meyer has actually outed you, Susan. She says, Susan Keynes, Myers-Briggs type is INFP. So <laughs> now over so true. to you. How does she know? Does, is that because you just diagnosed me or because no, – or you just assessed you just, me or because you, you just, just figured you, it out? No, you just revealed it on office hours, and she's tweeting. Oh, 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 I see, I see. So she's now tweeting it out to everyone. Gotcha. Yeah. So everybody, everybody knows. It's interesting. It's. I. I, uh, We'll. We'll get to other topics here in a moment. I I wonder if being an F, that it's feeling overthinking, is is. It seems to me a kind of a mismatch for, uh, corporate law or negotiating debt restructurings. Well, you know, it's funny. In some ways, it definitely felt like it was, but in other ways, I, I was able to use that because. You know, I, I could be in a negotiation and really sense what people were feeling and appeal to them yeah. on that yeah, level. That's, a, that's an interesting yeah. point. Okay, so, so yeah. the, the book, the book is like the book. We're talking to Susan Cain, author of *Quiet: The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking*. Susan, the book is a fascinating read. Um, but Thank if you. you read it as if you read it as a story, if you read it as as in some way a a, a, a narrative. Um, there's a villain in this story of sorts, or there, there's a there's a a mild villain in this in this tale. Uh, it's called the extrovert ideal. Explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that. Okay. Um, so the extrovert ideal is a value system that we have in our culture, and it, it tells us that the ideal self is bold, it's gregarious, it's assertive, it's comfortable in the spotlight. Um, yep. And 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 introverts feel tremendous pressure to to not only live up to this ideal, but to try to kind of pass as an extrovert. And so, you know, I'm glad you said, Dan, that the villain in the story is the extrovert ideal and not extroverts, because that's that's really an important distinction. Um, extroversion itself is is a really appealing personality style, um, but the issue is that introverts also have, a, you know, a constellation of traits that are quite wonderful, but many of them don't know it, and they're instead spending a lot of energy trying to pass as someone they're not. Interesting, um, yeah. You know, and, and I was thinking, like when you were saying before, a lot of there are a lot of people who are introverts, and you wouldn't guess it. You know, in fact, the most recent studies show that 50%, like 50% of Americans are introverts. Um, and, and I think that the reason that seems like such a shocking statistic is because so many of us have learned to fake it to one degree or another. You know, from a very early age, you pick this up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. And, I, and actually, the first couple of chapters of the book, uh, I, I think there's also percu- – I mean, I mean, I think you would agree with this, that, that this extrovert ideal is – not uniquely American, but peculiarly, distinctly American. Um, and the first couple of chapters of the book, at some level, read like um, you know a really fascinating um, you know book on American studies about mm-hmm, how this extrovert mm-hmm. ideal came to be. Um, you spent some time uh, in the force field that is Tony Robbins to help get <laughs> yes. that. Tell tell us about that experience. Oh my gosh, it was so fascinating. Well, I, I decided that I wanted to to visit a Tony Robbins seminar, and the reason I did this is, you know, I was really interested in in what is the ideal self. You know, how how do we view the ideal self? And so I thought you can't, you know, I thought, okay, how do I answer that question? Um, and you can't really do better than go to one of the ultimate leaders of the self help movement, right? Because that's what self help is. Um, it, it's trying to get you to to reach some level of ideal personhood. Um, okay, so I went to a Tony Robbins seminar, and you know it, it was this amazing experience where you go in and it's all uh, noise and it's action, and you're 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 in the seminar literally for 16 hours a day. You don't leave, and I you're spending. I found that kind of shocking that people are bringing their own food in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got there. I I didn't know this. You know, I I came kind of unprepared, but I, I got there and I found people lugging grocery bags of food um, through the conference hall because they knew they were going to be sitting there for 16 hours straight. Yeah. Um, and, and Tony Robbins is up on stage the entire time. So 16 hours a day, he is there. You know, he takes maybe two five-minute breaks the entire day. 
Um, so yeah. he's there as kind of the model of the you know, ultra-energized, ultra-hyper person um, and, and very, very charismatic. And he, he actually says at one point during the seminar that um, it, it must be that people have said to him that the model that he is promoting is, is one of an extrovert because he said, you know, you don't have to be extroverted to feel alive in the way that I'm teaching you. Um, mm-hmm. But but in fact, everything that was, was happening during the seminar was really a, a very extroverted uh, experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great description of that. And I think that you have, I mean, I, I almost, um, I, I literally burst out laughing um, uh, at this description here. Now, here's the thing. I should say for full disclosure, uh, Tony Robbins has a lot of fans. I like the guy. I think he's really interesting. I think he has some interesting things to say. Uh, yeah, I, is, I actually this, thought this, so, too. Yeah, this line. I, I, I got to too, and I found myself having fun, you know, like in spite of it all, because like, you basically spend many hours dancing in the aisles to top forty music, and you know, it's fun. Right, and and uh, you I mean you could do that without paying eight hundred ninety-five dollars too. Uh, the um, uh, she says uh, you write uh, Tony addresses us in a raspy voice, half Muppet, half bedroom sexy. Um, one of the best descriptions of Tony Robbins' voice I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I made me real, it just made me crack up because actually that is what he sounds like. But enough about Tony Robbins. Let's talk about this. So we have, you know, this, you know, the folks who listen to Office Hours are mostly folks you know, in business, looking, mm-hmm. thinking about their careers, thinking about how to manage better, thinking about how to uh, um, navigate their careers more smoothly. And one of the things that we hear in business, and it, and it came from, I, I, I credit it. To the great Tom Peters, who is will be a guest on Office Hours in May. Um, Tom said this that we should have a bias for action. We should have a bias for action. And what you're saying is maybe not so much. Uh, and that sometimes the bias for action can put us on what the U.S. Army calls the bus to Abilene. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so you know what I'm saying is a- action is great. We just need to have it balanced by um, also sitting and thinking and contemplating um, and, and kind of a balance of respect and power for the people who are more inclined to action on the one hand and, and thinking on the other. Um, the bus to Abilene is the idea. It, it's something that is talked about in the Army. It's a kind of a trope in the Army. And, 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 and it points to this. It's that you might all be sitting around. You have a group of people, and they're all sitting around one day. Um, and somebody says, hey, you know what, why don't we, they're, they're sitting around on a porch, let's say, and someone says, hey, why don't we go and take the bus to Abilene? And maybe no one else really thinks that's a good idea, but one person says, sure, why not? And then everybody else follows suit, and suddenly you've got a whole group marching valiantly towards Abilene, and nobody really wanted to go or thought it was a good idea. So, so the issue is you know, not to always assume that action is the best course and to, and to make sure that you put in place um, safeguards against taking action blindly. And so, so we, so action is good, but it should be tempered with what reflection, contemplation. Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the the fascinating lines of studies that I found when I was doing my research is that um, so extroverts and introverts really have profoundly different orientations to risk and to action. Um, mm-hmm. Extroverts literally they they have stronger reward networks in their brain, and so what this means is that if you're an extrovert and you see something that you want, you know it's a promotion or a business deal or whatever it is, you get really excited about it. You know, you you, you literally your emotions go racing, um, and you are so focused on that goal that the the good side of this is that you pursue it with a great ferocity. Um, the downside is that you tend not to see warning signals that are coming your way. You literally just don't focus on them as much as an introvert would in the same situation. Um, you know, so if you think about a situation like a bunch of people bidding to buy a company, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have a, a group of extroverts in a bidding situation, they are more likely to be susceptible to overpaying um, for the company because you know, they, they get focused on the reward. The and fabled so, winner's curse. The fabled winner's curse, exactly, exactly. Um, and so what you really need are both systems in place and also people in place who can play the role of, yeah. you know what, let's take things a little more uh, slowly, let's take yeah. it more calmly, and let's pay attention yeah. to other things in the horizon besides the reward in the distance. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They're almost like, um, um, you know, it's a, 
uh, those cars where if you go past a certain speed, it starts beeping a little bit, beep, beep, you know, warning signs yeah. or airbags. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And, um, you know, I, I actually think a great example of this kind of person is Warren Buffett, who is a self-described introvert. Um, and he talks about how, in his view, the key to good investing is not only acumen, um, but also having the right kind of temperament. And, you know, mm. and, and he has famously sat out uh, many of the market frenzies that, that other people have fallen prey to. And, uh, you know, and I think it's because he has that temperament of really looking at the warning signals and not, not tuning them out. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it also is, I, I wonder, do you think that uh, introverts are less likely to go with the herd than uh, extroverts? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, I would say yes, based on my anecdotal observations. I haven't found it in the research. Um, interesting, so yeah. Because, I mean, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett is, you know, Warren Buffett is, you know, is good at, at going, against the, going against the herd mentality that often leads to boom, that often leads to unsustainable booms and painful, and painful busts. Yeah, um, and in fact, he talks about having his own inner scorecard, he calls it. And he says yeah. he's really playing for, for that. Um, you know, and he has this great thing where he, he talks about for him investing is, is it's like painting the Sistine Chapel and he's the painter, he says, and he's going to decide what colors to use. And if somebody says that's a nice painting, that's great. But if they want to tell him how to paint in different colors, he says, goodbye, go away. It's my painting. Uh, and, you know, and I think uh, that's a very characteristic view. Interesting. Uh, we're talking to Susan Cain, author of Quiet, the hot, incredibly, the book has taken off like, Unlike almost any book I've seen recently, uh, it's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. The author is Susan Cain. Uh, if you want to ask a question live, we've got a few people lined up. Press star two on your phone. You can ask. Now, if you're listening by iTunes, um, which is where, you know, about 10,000 people listen to the show, don't hit uh, pound two because it's not live. But if you're listening live, uh, hit pound two and you can ask Susan a question. And we have some questions coming in by Twitter as well. Let me ask you a couple of these right now, Susan. Sure. Um, some some pretty interesting questions. Um, oh, you know what? It's not pound two. It's star two. I'm sorry about that. I gave you the erroneous instructions. Star two is how you ask a question. Star two, not pound two, star two. See, I'm an introvert, and I can't multitask, so I'm looking at the signal <laughs> from our director, Jessica Lerner, saying, you know, remind people how to ask questions, and, of course, I'm doing it wrong. But we have some questions coming in on, on Twitter that I think are fairly interesting, Susan. She says, uh, Doug Erickson says, as an INFP, and you're totally outed here on this Myers-Briggs type, uh, how do you <laughs> – the question is, how do you, Susan, how do you, Susan, handle networking at conventions and trying to make new contacts at big social events where extroverts shine? Such a good question, and I really – I have the answer for you because I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so here's what I do. When I go to a networking event, I do not think of my goal as being to work the room at all. I don't care about coming out with a whole, you know, fistful of business cards. Not that's not it. Um, for me, as long as I have found one or two or three people who I, honest to God, really enjoyed talking to, and I'm going to keep in touch with them because I want to, um, not because I'm there on a networking event and that's my goal, uh, then then I'm happy. And I've been doing this for all my life, and as a result, I have an incredible network of friends. You know, almost all of my business contacts are also real friends. And I think that that's the way to approach it because, you know, I think that's actually a good way to approach it for all humans. It would make networking happier for everybody. Um, but it's particularly uh, helpful for introverts who don't otherwise get pleasure out of just the shaking hands and the small talk. Right, right. And you, um, one of the things that resonated with me in the book was um, this idea that introverts are just really just don't dig small talk. No, 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 they really don't. Um, <laughs> and, and, and they're not, uh, frankly, they're not as good at it. Um, you know, it seems to be a, a probably a difference neurologically that we're still trying to figure out. But it seems as if introverts don't have a strong short-term memory, the, the kind of short-term memory that you use in small talk where you're, you know, like trying to think very quickly of something to say about nothing. Um, introverts aren't so does good it at that. Does, it, does and, that have to do with, with um, um, introverts having what seems to be a predilection at least for focusing on one thing rather than doing other things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and there are some studies that suggest that introverts might be stronger when it comes to long-term memory, you know, which would be related to what you're talking about. Uh, that's um, interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, what about, do you, do you have any advice, though, for introverts who are forced into situations where small talk is, you know, part of the, 
cost of doing business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're always going to have to um, to navigate your way through small talk, like even to get to the to the real conversations that I was and the real connections that I was just talking about. Of course, very often the way to get there is you have to pass through small talk first. Um, so what right. do you do? You know, if small if if you know this about yourself and small talk makes you nervous, you know, don't be embarrassed to spend time literally preparing to go to a networking event by skimming the headlines that day or thinking about interesting books or movies you've just read that you might want to talk about. Um, also, asking people questions is, you know, mm-hmm. this is a tried and true introvert conversational technique. Oh, totally, we, yeah. We've actually found this in the lab, and, and it's really true. Um, so, you know, just think about what kinds of questions you might want to ask, like, what did you think of the speaker we just heard? Um, where did you fly yep. in from? It really doesn't there matter was, what it is. There was somebody in the book, and I'm spacing out on who it was, who had little note cards that she would write with things she was going to say. Yes, yes. It's a, a guy I call Edgar. Um, he he, he okay. comes from a yeah yeah he comes from a really social family so his entire life and 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 now he's a banker so his entire life he's he's lived in a world where he was really expected to perform socially at a pretty high level um, and he's not comfortable with this and he says he'd always much rather be reading than speaking or than chatting um, but he would do this he would have an index card full of mm-hmm. witty anecdotes that he would prepare before <laughs> he went to any dinner party. And then at the dinner oh, party, man. if he didn't remember what the witty anecdotes were, he would run to the bathroom um, and, and rehearse them, I guess, um, and then come back and say wow. his witty, witty anecdotes, and then he felt like he was done. And he yeah, said that, that after... Little... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, he said that after a while, it started becoming natural to him. And, you know, really? if you, yeah, and he, if you knew him, you would never guess any of this. He comes across as one of the most socially fluid people um, that I've ever met. Interesting. Uh, that that story made when I read that that made me a little sad. Actually, it's like a poor guy like running into the toilet to look for his witty anecdote. Um, but uh, you yeah, know, whatever you know, it's you, funny because I asked whatever, him whatever gets you, you to, whatever gets you through the day. That's um, everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for coping mechanisms. You ready to take some questions from uh, callers out here uh, sure. in the world? Um, I'm talking to Jessica here for a moment. Jessica, can you scroll down just for one sec, just to see what we have going on here? Uh, phew, hugely American audience here. Uh, no surprise. Uh, oh, we got we got some Canadians too. Uh, go ahead. So, look, so we're going to go to. Uh, so I hope you folks are listening out here. Uh, we're going to go to uh, a caller in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thanks for waiting <laughs> to ask a question to Susan. Uh, you're on the air, Pittsburgh. Uh, hello. Um, I was one. I was wondering if uh, you can be introverted and outgoing at the same time. Tell us, tell us your name, Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm Janet. Not... Hi. Janet. Hi, Janet. Uh, so the question is, is it possible to be introverted and outgoing, Susan? Well, I would say yes, absolutely. Um, Dan Pink is probably such a person. He comes across very as, as a very outgoing person, but he tells us that he's an introvert. Um, so. So yeah, you know, over time you can develop the the skills and the persona to the point where it becomes natural to you, you know, to kind of go out into the world. Um, but what makes you still an introvert is what we were talking about before. You know, you'll you'll usually have the need to kind of come back and and restore and center yourself. Yeah, that, totally. Does that really... describe? Does that describe you, Janet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to be outgoing. I do. I do. Um, for my job, I do leadership and management development and. They're kind of forced into being outgoing in a lot of situations, but I'm really an introvert, and I find it really drains me uh, yeah. to do that. Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, Janet, I can't is there any tell place, you is how there many people I've met who just who Susan, say exactly the same thing. Is there anything that you recommend to her to, to make that a little less draining? Yeah. You know, the main thing I would recommend is is once you really feel entitled to be who you are and you think it's okay, then you can start sort of taking really active steps to arrange your day so that you're going to have the respite you need. You know, so if you know that you're going to be have, paying three sales calls in the morning or whatever it is, um, don't make a lunch appointment for that day. It's okay to take lunch in your office with the door closed. Um, yeah. so, so to really build that in. That's awesome. And, and I appreciate your advice about attending conferences uh, as well. It's my approach as well. All right, One Dennis, card. That's all I want to talk to. Hey, one, Thank wait, you. Well, one card. One card is one more than you came in with. Thanks for the call. We're going to take another call uh, here uh, in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, home of the United States Naval Academy. Uh, Annapolis, um, Annapolis, you're on the air. Hi, I was calling to ask about what advice you might have for 
college graduates who are new into the job market who are introverted or quiet, and so many of the job postings you see say, or the people you talk to say, looking for people with high energy, um, vibrant, you know, um, and passionate about what they do. And if you are a passionate person, but it doesn't come across that way, do you have any advice for a job-seeking college graduate? Yes, Fantastic such an question. excellent question. Yeah, such I an love excellent that question. question. You know, um, what you need to do is think about quiet ways of conveying your passion. Um, you know, the person who drafted the ad may, may have made it sound as if there's only one way to be passionate, but in real life, we all know passion when we see it, and we know soft-spoken passion when we see it. So my advice is go for that job applicant to apply for the jobs that they're really excited about and and let their passion show through in their own way, and that's okay. going to work for them. Okay, thank you very much. You're Great, welcome. And the by the way, I, you know, if I, I actually just... Uh, it got feedback from somebody who took this advice just a few days ago, and she said she went to a job interview, and it was the most successful interview she had had in her life because she was using right. her own sort of self-possessed style. But I think that that's actually broader advice for everybody, that there is – I mean, there's a whole – I mean, actually, you, I think, at some point reference uh, in the book – and I should say the book is, is, is just gorgeously researched. I mean, it's so it – just so many different sources and so many different things. And I think you, re you, you reference at one point Irving Goffman and this idea that we play, sort of put on masks and play roles. And I think in some ways we've learned the wrong lesson there, that, that I've found that when I interview people, the most effective people are people who just sound like themselves. Yeah, yeah than, that's true. Rather than try to conform to, you know, some kind of expectation, because most people aren't very good at that, you know. And that's also. True. Sounding like yourself is also is also easier. Uh, so, <laughs> so much easier. I mean, I, really I would is. say I I would say Dan that that everybody needs to have um, some have the ability to step outside or to stretch outside their normal temperaments um, some of the time, and and that extroverts need to do this too, right? Like right. if you're an extrovert and you need to sit still for six hours and write a memo when you might prefer to be walking the hallways and chatting with colleagues, you still have to do it, right? So you have to be more introverted for that moment. So, you know, I, I think it's okay to have a side of yourself that where you, you kind of click into your more extroverted version of your own self, as long as you're not doing it too much of the time. Yeah, it's a good point. We got a, uh, and that's surprisingly, we got a lot of questions coming in via Twitter. Uh, uh, Justin asks, if extroverts are uh, the preferred type, uh, if extroverts are the preferred type, what can introverts do more of to get noticed at work? Mm, yeah, that's a really important question. Thank you um, for asking it. You need to find, you know, you're, you're going to find me coming back to a general theme probably with a lot of these questions. And, and the general theme is to figure out what your own strengths are and draw on them, right? Um, so in terms of getting noticed at work, you're going to need to figure out ways of doing that that are consonant with who you are. So maybe for you that might be um, calling a one-on-one -on -one meeting with your boss to to assess your career and how it's been going. Hmm. You know, and, and maybe you, maybe you prepare for that meeting and have a list of what your accomplishments are and where you hope to get to in the coming year, um, and you talk about it quietly together, the two of you. Um, you know, another thing that you might do if you're more comfortable writing than speaking is taking on some kind of a role. With, within your company's intranet or writing memos that, that are going to call attention to your expertise in some way. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually and, and, much – go ahead. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll just give you one third one, uh, and that is even in meetings, there are ways – if you're the type of person who's not really comfortable you know, taking command in a meeting, there are still ways to make your presence quietly felt. Like you can, you can be the one facilitating the meeting – you can be the one asking the thoughtful questions that steers the conversation back in a more uh, in, in a better direction. Um, there, there are different roles that you can play that are quiet but strong. Um, yeah. Do you think that the, the that some changes in our world has made life better for introverts? For instance, you know, you think about an introvert at work. Go to Justin's question: an introvert at work trying to get noticed. Uh, that's pretty hard 20 years ago when there wasn't an, an intranet. Yeah, I, I actually think social media has been a great boon for introverts in this way. Absolutely, um, and and I also think that there's um, there's a, that we might be at a moment of profound cultural shift right now, where people are really starting to understand the importance of a different style. Even the Pope, the Pope yesterday 
called for everybody to to spend more time in silence as a route to more empathy and more understanding. Uh, I wonder what the what the Pope tests on, on the Myers Briggs. Well, he's famously quiet and soft spoken. So actually, I was not surprised to hear that. Well, I was surprised that he was issuing an edict about it, but um, I wasn't surprised that he felt this way. Okay. Uh, if you, anybody who um, knows the Pope's Myers Briggs profile, <laughs> star two, and uh, let all of us know. We're going to take another question. Let's go to uh, uh, let's go to San Jose. California, San Jose, California. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Hi. San Jose. Tell, tell us your oh. tell us your real name. Unless it is Hi. San Jose. Hi. Uh, my name is Grace Ty. Hey, Grace. And Hi, Grace. I'm definitely an introvert, and I um, know that I have adapted to being an extrovert. And I'm curious how we shortchange ourselves by faking it. Oh, gosh, yes, that's a good question. So if you fake it too long, it's really tiring. Um, it means you are not spending time doing the things that you actually could be doing to great effect or great profit or great uh, personal satisfaction. Um, there is also research to suggest that in the long run it can make us sick to do this. Um, and, in, and, in fact, in my book, I um, I tell the story of this amazingly inspiring professor named Brian Little who – He's a psychology professor. He loves his subject. He loves his students. He's an introvert. Because he loves his students so much and his subject so much, he goes out and lectures to his students with incredible passion. You know, he's, he's, he's one of the best speakers most students will ever come across. Um, but he's incredibly exhausted from doing this. So he, after every lecture, rushes for the nearest restroom so that he can restore himself. Um, but for a while, you know, even this was not enough for him, and he started to get really ill. And, and it was only when his wife you know, made him stop um, and made him take more time for himself that he started to recover. So uh, that's all a long way of saying, Grace, you know, you could. Is this your is this your experience, Grace? Sort of being drained by having to fake it. Yes, definitely. I definitely and get drained. Tell us a little yeah. more about that. I mean, what 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 do you do? What what what's your profession, if you don't mind sharing it? And and how do you spend your days? Uh, yeah, I'm a manager uh, at a high tech company, and I'm in front of people a lot, and have one on one conversations, and go to a lot of meetings. And I uh, I like giving presentations, um, but I do find myself overwhelmed very easily. Mm -hmm. And I have three kids, um, and so I just have a very busy life, and I think I've adapted to thinking that I can do it all, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I just get very overwhelmed, and I do think it affects my health, so I do have to yeah, yeah. find ways to nurture myself and be by myself. Yeah. Is this a, Susan, is this a, is, is, does Grace need what you've referred to in the book as a restorative niche? Yes, yes, I think you do. Um, and a restorative niche, is, it's just what it sounds like. It's, it's the figuring out places in your life where you can go to restore yourself after acting out of character for, for so long. Um, and I, I wonder, I mean, can, can you think off the top of your head of, think, of places you can go or spaces that you can build into your life? Yes, definitely, yes. And I have been doing that, so, yeah, it just helps to have your feedback on that. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, like the, the thing that you're feeling, there's a term for it that I just find really instructive. What you're doing, it's called emotional labor. And it's basically, you know, any time that you're you're kind of faking an emotion or faking a, a um, an, an attitude that you don't truly feel, that's a lot of labor, and I think we underestimate it. That makes sense. Thank you. Interesting, Grace. You're Grace, welcome. hang on for hang on, Grace, hang on for one second here. I want to ask you a question. It's going to help us uh, move to another topic. You work at a high tech company. You're in San Jose, Silicon Valley, the heart of America's innovation nerve center. Uh, do your um, is there a heavy emphasis on teamwork in your company? Yes, I would say so. Yes. You'd say so. Okay, great. I was, we're gonna thank you, Grace, for that wonderful call, Susan. Let's talk about teamwork. Um, you suggest that teamwork at companies like Grace's is a little bit overrated. That uh, that it can even foster what you call the new groupthink, and and you show also that um, cite some studies that show that. In contrast to our belief that, that teamwork leads to better results, you, you, you show uh, research that says that performance gets worse as the group size increases. So tell us what's wrong with teamwork. Yeah. Um, so we, we now have 
what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with teamwork per se. What's wrong with teamwork mostly is that we've gone overboard with it. Um, so we, we now live in this culture, and this is especially true in the workplace, but also in our schools, um, where we have the belief that all creativity and all productivity comes from being gregarious and, and having constant social interchange. Um, but in fact, and, and, but, and, and so therefore we kind of throw people into to groups and into meetings um, and we have them working together now more and more in open plan offices where they have no privacy and no walls and, you know, everybody's sort of looking at each other all day long. Um, and the, the, what I'm saying is that there's a real downside to this because when we come together in groups, as it turns out, we are such social creatures, and this is true of introverts too, we're all such social creatures that we can't really know our own minds um, because mm. When, when you have other people around you, there's a part of your brain that is always going to be focused on what the other person is thinking. And we actually start instinctively mimicking other people's opinions, um, you know, to the point where if, if you're in a group of people um, and you show them pictures of faces and ask them to rate how attractive those faces are, you will start believing that, it, and, and somebody else goes first and they say, you know, so-and-so is very attractive. You will start feeling the same way, even if you had previously rated that person less attractive. Um, and and uh, and not just saying that to fit in, but actually literally you are literally your attitude. It. You are yeah. literally, literally believing it. Um, psychologists are starting to track this with brain scanning, um, where you can see the pleasure centers of a person's brain lighting up yeah. in response to these attractive faces, um, because the others in the group have have declared it to be so. And yeah, so there is the, a, there is a, there's a famous. Um, I, I, you know, uh, forgive me because I, I, I can't find it immediately in the book, but and I, I think that you write about it. It's not, forgive me. There's a, there's a famous line of research in social psychology that shows the degree to which people are unbelievable, can be unbelievably conformist. That is, you can show them, uh, you know, two lines and say which one is longer and which one is shorter, and one is clearly longer than the other. And then when you bring people in, Confederates in, to say that the shorter line is longer, people will change their mind about which line is longer. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's absolutely astonishing. And, and you know, that, that research dates back to, I think it may be the 1950s. Um, but what we haven't known until recently is exactly why people were changing their minds. You know, we didn't know, were they changing their minds because they truly believed the line was longer? Or, you know, have they truly changed their mind? Or were they going along for the sake of looking good with the group members? And And it seems... From the, from the new technology that we have with brain scanning, that actually your mind gets changed. Your mind gets changed by what amazing. others in the group say. Um, it's, just, it's just amazing. And so and so you know so this new so putting too much of a premium on this teamwork can have can foster actually really bad ideas or consensus around something that makes no sense. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and then there's also the issue of you get a whole bunch of people into a meeting, and, and we know this from research. Invariably, the person who speaks the most assertively or, you know, the most loudly or, or speaks the most, that person's ideas are going to be paid more attention to. You know, that's just the Absolutely. nature of group dynamics. But what we also know is that there's zero correlation between someone who has <laughs> the ability to, to be that assertive person and good ideas. You know, they, they may have the best ideas in the room, but they may not. There's no, there's no relationship. Right. So, but they're you know, perceived if you're, as being knowledgeable and uh, authoritative simply yeah. by saying something. I mean, yeah, all they're, of they're, us, they're even perceived as being smarter. Like people truly believe that they're smarter. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if you're a manager and your goal is to get the best of everybody's brains, and you say, okay, I'm going to call everybody into a meeting now, and we'll figure out what everybody thinks. You're not, and, and we'll make a decision that way. You're not getting the best of everyone's brains. You're you're probably getting the best of the brains of the person who speaks most effectively. Right. Um, or for at some level speaks most or speaks most. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Susan, you and I know this having um, gone through the crucible that is law school. That there is absolutely <laughs> no correlation between the amount of words emitted from someone's pie hole and the quality of those words. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's true. Now, so I true. wonder here what makes me what makes me think about that is that um, I don't have data to back this up, but my anecdotal experience as a human being is that there is one gender that is more likely to speak loudly and authoritatively than another gender. Is that true? Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. And uh, yeah, and and, uh, and what, in can, fact, what, what can what can what 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 um, um, 
you know, what should a manager do in that circumstance? Should 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 that manager say, okay, Fred, you've had you've you've been talking nonstop. Let's go. Should should the manager then affirmatively go to uh, someone sitting around the table, call her Maria, who's Hello? You know what? Quiet. Sorry, I I actually lost you. Uh, can you can you have me now? You okay now? Yep. Now I'm now I'm good. Yeah. Sorry about that. So um so if this manager so you got Fred who's just talking up a storm authoritatively, big shot, um and should a manager then look at Maria who's sitting around the table and say Maria, what do you think? Or does that kind of putting on the spot of someone who's more introverted uh, can be yeah. counterproductive? Yeah, if it's the kind of thing where Maria, where everybody else has spoken, Maria hasn't. Yeah, it's the worst thing to do. That that, that is putting Maria on the spot for sure. Um, so a better approach might be to let everybody before the meeting, uh, before the meeting, to let everybody know what you're going to be talking about and ask everyone to think about it in advance um, and to come prepared to discuss it. Because what most introverts complain about with meetings is that the conversation goes really quickly. And you know, and going back to what we were talking about before about the the difficulty introverts have with small talk, the same thing happens with meetings. It's like uh, the introverts are usually processing what's happening a little more slowly. So they'll often say, ah, you know, I, I thought of the thing that I wanted to say, but by then the discussion had moved on. Right, so right. If, so it, it can be really helpful to let people know in advance. That, 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 that's interesting because it goes to one of the other differences. And forgive me, Susan, because I'm forgetting the exact term here, but, but um, yeah, sure. uh, you, you, have the, you have a notion of, of uh, introverts, uh, someone in your book has this notion of introverts as slow to warm up, or as I, lo- I, I, I'll say this from a personal experience, we we have um, um, uh, one of our, I don't want to talk out of school here, but what we, what, I remember being in uh, a conference in preschool with about one of our three, Jessica's and my three kids, and uh, we descri- I, I remember describing this kid at age four years old as having a long runway. Ah, oh, that's um, such a great way of putting and, it. And, I love and, that. Um, and I wonder um, whether that is part of it, too, that we need to give some of these folks, whether in school or in companies, longer runways. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. We need longer runways, and we need different ways of gathering the best of those people's brains. Um, you know, so I, I, I would actually also encourage thinking about ways to do this outside of the meeting structure. Um, that's a good point, but, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I'll just give you one example of this. So I, I think each company would want to be creative about what works for them. Um, but there's a company called Write Solutions. It's a software development company. And the, the head of it, Jim Lavoie, had worked at another company first. Um, and at that other company, he had he had seen that the, the way – if you wanted to present a new idea that you thought your company should invest in or, or uh, pursue, what you had to do is you had to present it to what they called a murder board. And you had to make a really great presentation, and then the murder board would would ask you difficult questions and then assess whether to go forward. And so he said that what this did was it rewarded the best presenters and not the best ideas. So in his new company, Right Solutions, he has developed an online stock market um, for new ideas. And anybody in the company can go online and write up a new idea that they think the company should follow. And everybody has um, sort of nominal cash to invest in the stock market. And people will then start investing in those ideas. Um, and it's all happening online. And, and he says explicitly what this does is it taps into the quiet geniuses in the company who would not right. have gone before the murder board. And as a result, right. some of their best innovations have come from this. So, right. You know, that I, mean, if, I mean, you would think that the very name of it um, – uh, murder board would, <laughs> would be a deterrent for those who are not, you know, risk-seeking, thrill-seeking, you know, daredevil, um, give me some more dopamine types. Um, exactly. So I think that the very name is a little bit of a deterrent. Uh, let's take some more. I think uh, that's we only true. Have a, oh. You know, I, I think the problem is that there's a kind of moral valor that's often attached to, you know, being the kind of person who's brave enough to go before the murder board. And I, yeah. I, I don't think that that serves anyone's interests. Um, interesting. I, I mean, I think at some level it is valorous to put yourself out there and, you know, take the slings and arrows of people who might disagree with you. Uh, I don't think it's the only way to get your idea out there. And if the only, you know, if the only people whose ideas you hear are people who are willing to stand before their peers and be savage, then I think you're going to lose out on some, some great ideas. We've got a lot of questions here, Susan, and in a limited amount of time. Let's go to sure. – uh, Roselle, Illinois. Roselle, Illinois, you're on the air. Roselle, can you hear me? 
Uh, are you hearing me? Yeah, I am. Tell us, uh, tell us your name, Roselle. Oh, sorry. I'm in Northbrook, Illinois. I don't know that happened. Anyway, uh, Ben Paul. I run a community teach, a startup that brings employees together to teach and learn from one another. So mm-hmm. we've been asked to do this at an IT company with a lot of introverts, and they found that there have been project delays because the introverts from different departments don't have personal relationships and aren't talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, so for us, what can we do to get introverts to actually um, teach and learn from one another? What would appeal to them? Great question, mm. Ben. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, gosh, you know, I don't know if it's feasible within your project, but I would try to make the, the teaching and the learning happen in really small groups and maybe even one-on-one. Um yeah. As opposed to in large groups, like introverts hate. You know how um, there's a saying of a consultant comes in and divides everybody up into groups of six, and now we all have to talk about such and such. Um, introverts hate that kind of thing. So making it smaller and making it more kind of uh, real, authentic discussions, I think, will help. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how yeah. how uh, things work? That we provide software that matches employees who want to learn something with other employees who can teach it. And uh-huh. it, it does. It brings them together for small groups and for one-on-ones. And we're concerned about why would an introvert want to do that and reach across departmental lines and, and put themselves out there? What can we do to make that appealing? Oh, what can you do to make it appealing? You know, I, I, I think it would be really the, the way you'd make it appealing to anyone, which is, you know, to show them concretely, like, what, what, what's in it for them? Why, why would they spend the time doing that? Um, mm-hmm. Right. So we know it's in it for management, which is, you know, to get this better interdepartmental um, communication collaboration. But, um, yeah, we have to focus on what would be in it for these folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I would do that. What, 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 is, what is the end result going to be? I would try to make it as tangible and as concrete as possible. Here's what you will okay. learn. Here's why you should come. Yeah, like that. Uh, all right, great. Thanks, Ben. Um, let's go to another call in uh, we've got uh, Tampa, Florida, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa. Hi, this is Lisa in Tampa, Florida. Lisa Jacobson. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. I say that hi. like I've known Lisa since I was a small boy, but uh, <laughs> I, I, hi, Lisa. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Okay, of the folks of the Buccaneers and Daniel Pink. <laughs> uh, but not anyway. necessarily in that order. And I had, and believe me, I had a much better season than the Buccaneers. <laughs> you're, you're darn right you did <laughs> anyway uh what's your question for susan okay so i'm a, a human resources and career consultant and uh-huh. um, i have a background in human resources i've done a lot of hiring for fortune 100 100 companies and it is my anecdotal um experience that extroverts um much to my dismay tend to get hired or chosen for positions, even when they're not even qualified for the jobs, because the introverts don't, as you mentioned earlier, um, they don't have a way to articulate how passionate and how expert they are at the subject matter when they when they interview. And mm-hmm. companies constantly hire the people who interview well as opposed to the most qualified candidate. It's yes. just so frustrating. Yeah, I, I hear you. I know. Um, so in your book, and by the way, what is the name of your book again? I really want to buy it. Oh, thank you. It's you called should buy, Quiet. You should buy it. It's called, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell Susan okay. so you don't have to like plug your own stuff. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Quiet. It has a gray cover with, with quiet written in, in red letters. It's available at Amazon.com, BN.com, your favorite uh, Barnes & Noble uh, physical store, your favorite independent bookstore, everywhere where books are sold. Okay. Quiet, Susan Cain, C-A-I-N. Thank, Thank you. Well, anyway, just that comment and what can, you know, how can we get the word out to managers? Don't be snowed over by people who schmooze you into hiring them. Well, you know, it, it's a, the best thing that you can do is to give managers stories and uh, and statistics if you can, if you have them for your industry. But, you know, stories of the person who didn't interview well and who then um, came through and actually had the expertise. Um, and can I, what I, I would can also I say 
Yes, yeah, please. Can I chime in for a second, Susan? Because I, I think that there's, I mean, um, actually, I know a little bit of this research on interviewing. And it turns out, I mean, I, I think what, uh, Lisa is say, what Lisa says is totally right, that actually uh, the kinds of interviews we typically do in jobs have essentially zero correlation to performance on the job. It's basically a crapshoot. Um, but there is only one question uh, with – one interview question with any predictive power. Um, and that question is, what do you know about this company? That's the only question wow, in the, in the research on job interviews that has any predictive power on whether that person is going to perform. And in some ways, it, it, um, it's a proxy for uh, conscientiousness. It's a proxy for whether that person did their due diligence before coming into the interview. It's a proxy for whether that person really wants to work at your operation rather than is just looking for any kind of job. And to me, it, would, it might be the kind of question that would actually – uh, uh, surface some some introverts who probably are better prepared for these job interviews than the glib gland handing types who go in there and try to schmooze. Huh, that that's absolutely fascinating, Dan. Um, so um, I, let's 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 uh, thanks for the call, Lisa. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, Susan, and I want to get to just one other thing here. Um, I want to talk about. We didn't have time to talk about it. I think it's a question that a lot of us. Uh, when I've been talking just to you know friends and other people about friends and family about uh, the book and some of its ideas, inevitably the subject of kids has come up. Sure. Uh, so let's just talk about kids for a moment. Uh, you've got, um, uh, according to the book, two sons, right? How old are they? They are ages two and four. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and so do you see any signs that they are introverts or extroverts? Or to put it another way, as you've written before, are, are they sitters or rovers, your kids? You know, they're, they're, my husband's a real extrovert, and I'm an introvert. So our kids seem to be a little bit of a mishmash of the two of us. You know, they they, they kind of have both characteristics, and, and there is a term for that of ambivert. Um, oh, which a, is a very important term. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there really are a lot of people who feel this way. You know, where you're kind of smack in the middle of the introvert-extrovert spectrum. Right. Um, but right. but I would say, I, yeah. you know, for the um, for the size of our children um, that are more introverted, it it's it's helpful to to kind of know where they're coming from. And, and so what I always advise parents, if you have a child who, who has that long runway that Dan was talking about, um, is to really convey to them that you, you get it and you respect that long runway and that you are going to, to walk that runway with them until they get to the other side and that it's okay if it said, takes yeah. them longer than it takes other, than it takes other kids. Um, but your goal is to kind of um, teach them to slowly learn on their own to to punch through the wall of inhibition that they yeah. might have standing between them and the fun thing that they want to do on the other side. And not to try to make them into something, you know, not to try. I think there's a tendency for people who have kids who are a little bit quiet, a little bit more reserved, kids who are observers, uh, rather, you know, who are the sitters rather than the rovers, to kind of go behind them and, you know, nudge them forward all the time. And you're saying, yeah. in, and I encourage, it, it, listen, any parent out there, you should get this book. If you just read Chapter 11, you'll get your money's worth. Um, it's, um, it's called On Cobblers and Generals, How to Cultivate Quiet Kids in a World that Can't Hear Them. Um, that, that chapter alone is worth the price of the book if you, have, um, if you have kids who are you know, a little bit more reserved, who are more observers rather than actors. Um, and I think the book gives some really great insights on that. Um, Susan, uh, unfortunately, our hour is up. Uh, let us um, wrap up here and tell us again, how can people find you online? Oh, yes. I have a website, and it's called thepowerofintroverts.com, and uh, you will find a blog there, and you'll find a forum where you can chat with each other and uh, all kinds of resources to come up on the website. Great. It's so called some really thepowerofintroverts.com. Power of inter the power of introverts. The power of introverts dot com. Yeah, that's um, right. Right, and uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. So that's um, unfortunately our hour is up, Susan. That's it for office hours. Uh, well, thanks thank to you everyone. so much. This was so much fun. Thank well, you all for thanks, participating. Thanks to the great calls that came in. Thanks to everybody who um, raised. We didn't get to everybody as always. We never get to everybody, but we uh, thanks to everybody who chimed in with questions and the people who unfortunately we left hanging out there. Um, I want to thank everyone for being with us. This program will be available download to, for download for free uh, in a few days at danpink.com. Um, as, as Susan mentioned, to learn more about Susan Kane and her book, it's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that, won't, that, that Can't Stop Talking. Uh, go to thepowerofintroverts.com and join us for the next episode of Office Hours. 
February 6th, when we'll be talking with Gary Hamill, uh, one of the most influential management thinkers of our day, he'll be telling us what matters now. And tune in later this year to talk to people like Jonah Lehrer, Harvey McKay, and Tom Peters. Um, so thank you again to Susan Kane, author of Quiet. Uh, until uh, then, uh, for producer Tim Grawl in Lynchburg and director Jessica Lerner here at World Headquarters, I'm Daniel Pink. You've been listening to Office Hours. If you've missed an episode, shame on you. So check us out on iTunes. Thanks, everyone.